Hello, my name is Emilia and I'm an architect and I currently live in Milan. Thanks for being on the podcast again. <laughs> um, and I guess before we started recording, we were talking about uh, the environmental issues of several countries and the difference between, I don't know, Italy and France regarding, you know, packaging and stuff like that in supermarkets and stuff. And I mean, you've been living in uh, France before here for what? Yes. I lived in France for around a year in Paris and yeah with the packaging and how the supermarket culture and disposable usage of disposable things culture I find it completely different uh, in the supermarket yes of course you can see packaged vegetables um, but there's no gloves like plastic gloves to take the produce there is uh, you there's certain supermarkets which you can avoid taking the little bag uh, which ends up in the trash and i mean it's your personal decision even in other countries if you want to take it or not i mean i'm always trying to avoid that even in countries that ask you to do that i'm trying to skip around and not use it because it usually goes to the trash you use it just for a couple of minutes from the supermarket to your home uh, but yeah, in France they are going pretty ahead with those things because uh, first of all they don't use many disposable plastic and they use paper almost for everything um, and they try to avoid throwing away food which I also find very a forward way of thinking I believe there are plenty of apps which help you locate the places where they will give you away bread that is about to be old already it cannot be sold and they will give it away for free and i find it really good because many people take advantage of it it's not like for the poor or for the people who cannot afford it many people actually use it and it's a normality i find it very very pleasant and you think this kind of things are lacking in italy for example this app that you're talking about because I was thinking about the like bakeries, right? Here they closed relatively early. Yes. Like they, I mean, I guess compared to other countries, things here are not open all day. It's hard mm -hmm. to find like shops or anything that is you know 24/7. And uh, besides, some places close even during lunchtime for a couple hours, and then they close again at like five or six. So, yeah, I guess maybe something about the culture here, about, you know, store opening hours and things like that, that might make it a bit difficult, but... Well, in a way, if they close earlier, this means that I just believe is a, is a, in terms of information, like how many people are informed about this thing, I think it could be done everywhere. It's a, it's a system that could be applied everywhere. Um, I don't find it why here culturally or for any other reasons this system could not work. Only maybe for people who have are at work at that point when the bakery is closed, uh, but they can go in their lunch breaks and pick up something. I don't know. It, it's it's I I think that it's it's a system that could be applied in many countries. 
So you think it's just like a lack of knowing that these things exist somewhere else? Well, probably yes. I, I believe so. It's I, I don't think why people here would not do that. Because I don't think that anybody would feel good to throw away thing, like to throw to throw away perfectly good food and not give it away either for a small price or for for free. Why would somebody do that? It's it's just a common sense, I believe. And what about uh, Mexico? You were studying there for a while. Uh, yes. When? A couple of years ago? Uh, it was in between 2017 and 2018, like for six months, at the end of 2017 and the beginning of 2018. And that's another country that is very into food, let's say. Indeed. Like, food yeah. is a big thing culturally there as well. Did you notice like anything different of how they deal with these things? Um, that something that struck your, you know, oh, your eye. Uh, I mean, food in Mexico is amazing. What is a huge thing in Mexico, which of course I absolutely love, is the street food. I find it very, I mean, in Mexico is delicious. It's, it's one of the best, even like street food sometimes could be better than restaurant food in many cases. Um, for the ecological part, I think that Mexico uses quite a lot of plastic, but now I know that next year they're about to ban many types of single-use plastic. Uh, what I don't like, I mean, you know about what I'm going to say, that sometimes in the street vendors put a plastic plate uh, for multiple usage uh, in a plastic bag, and then they serve your food and then not to wash it, they just throw away the plastic bag, which is dirty from food, which this means that it cannot never be recycled and put a new one. And I find this like horrible. I would rather, I don't know, I would rather take my tacos in a piece of paper. I know it's hard because they drip, they have salsa and they're greasy, but I don't know, it's just for me, it's, it hurts my heart. Um, other than that, I think Mexico is big on meat consumption. <laughs> it's uh, it's another thing that, of course, you can find dishes which are free of meat, but basically it's a staple food. Almost all tacos are meat. And this is also an environmental issue, let's say in a way. But what is good about Mexico is that many people shop in markets which means that you can take your own bag and not use those plastic one throwaway bags that we use here in Europe or gloves. Uh, and I believe that many of the produce in Mexico sold in those markets in Mexico, including cheese and vegetables are locally produced, which is also a great thing. So that's, these are the pluses and minuses that I noticed. I think also, I mean, you talked about uh, street food, which yeah, is, a, is a huge thing there. And I think in France as well, at least from my experience in Paris, you can, you know, experience so many different kinds of cuisine from all over the world in food trucks that are also sometimes moving around with these street markets. And in Italy, you don't see that that much. There are some kind of food trucks here, and I think it's been getting a bit better in a way. but. One thing that I do know is a difference is that in Mexico and in France both they cook meals 
on at the moment it's prepared right there for you whereas in italy because of the laws they can only serve you what here they called uh cold table oh. which is pre-prepared stuff they can heat it up for you but they mm. cannot actually cook something there for you so that's why the culture of street food here is really not that big I mean, you would think in places like Sicily, yeah, maybe there's more of what we would consider street food, but it's not really being sold out of a, out of a truck. And uh, I don't know, yeah, these things just... Maybe you don't notice them so much when you visit here, but after a while I do start to think some things might be able to change for, for, for good. Yeah, I didn't know about the law that actually doesn't let you cook things on the street here. Well, yeah, I believe um, it's a cultural thing, I believe. People are used to, when they eat, even in lunch break, they're used to go into a restaurant and sit and have a proper meal. There's nothing bad about that, of course. It's a cultural thing. I mean, also in France, they are used to, in their lunch breaks at work, to maybe we get something maybe from street food, maybe from a restaurant that allows takeaway uh, and we sit together and we eat at a table properly, not something quick like a sandwich or no, a proper meal. Uh, so I believe it's a cultural thing and probably legislative if they don't allow t if they don't allow you to cook on the street then I think that this thing can change. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they do have their good things about it though. For example, I always like to tell people that just because of how strict they are with food here, even even McDonald's here is much better than McDonald's in probably almost everywhere in the world. Yes. Just because they are forced to use Italian mm. ingredients sourced, like you say, locally, mm. fresh. So yeah, you and then they have like chefs that come and do this like, you know, one of uh, special hamburgers for the season or whatever else they do so you can actually get like a pretty decent meal with you know very good ingredients in mcdonald's here yeah. just because of all these like legislation they do have so i guess in a way i do understand that they do care a lot about that but yeah i don't know it's i guess it's a very complicated it is, but in a sense, I believe that yeah, in, in Italy, people are quite picky culturally about their food. They just allow you to prepare their food and their recipes at a certain way, and they don't, don't allow many variations about it. We all know that. It's a world-known fact, and more if you have lived here. Um, but especially in cities like Milan, I believe that people start becoming more and more open on trying foreign food and I believe that this is the, if they want to start introducing street food in in Italy in general apart from the fried yeah, Sicilian or churros or other things that they already have um, they can try to experiment with like some foreign some foreign staple um, street foods that they prepare all over the world and maybe see how this thing goes I mean, especially in Milan, I believe that it will it will be successful uh, because it's a city that with people who like to experiment and the trying something foreign, I believe it's it's seen as a very positive thing. I don't know in a smaller place how in a smaller town how it will 
work, but here I believe it has a future. I guess we see it in places like Isola. Uh, years ago, I guess, you remember, of course, how Isola was nothing special. special. <laughs> yes. And then when they rebuilt the whole area and the, all those skyscrapers came up and, you know, the new financial district and everything they tried to do, it really changed that area into something, I mean, I would call it a bit even hipsterish, kind of like, you know, Brooklyn of Milan, <laughs> uh, full of coffee shops with, you know, this fancy font lettering on the windows and they all kind of look the same. But after a while, it started to become more of a, an experimental area. I, I see a lot of restaurants that have foreign foods and people do go to them and people are willing to, to try these things out. I guess mostly younger younger people, of course, but the will is there and hopefully this just like evolves into, into something positive for the city as well, you know? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, now with the globalization, the, the era of globalization that we live in, uh, districts like Isola are growing with so many different cuisines. Actually, the other day I was walking there and I saw an Irish pub and African cuisine and juices. And yeah, of course, with all the beautiful aesthetic lettering, this like vintage looking fronts of the stores. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, Isola is, is one of those, not only, even in, in Porta Venezia, you can see uh, very different foreign cuisines. Some of them are new, some of them are even old. Like um, around Vialecco, you can see all those Ethiopian Eritrean food, which are actually, I, I believe they're not new and still they're visited by many people, yeah, young mainly. Um, and yeah, the next one is now that is gaining popularity is Nolo, the north of Loreto neighborhood, which I think that it's another place that we're going to start seeing all those things. Well, yeah, I like to see Milan as an experimental city of Italy. And I think that many things can work and be experimented here in a way to see if they have any mm, different kind of investments to, to test them and see if they may work on Italian soil or not. And just to switch it up a bit, and I guess this might be a weird question, but let's say you got like a relative or a friend coming to Milan for the first time and you want to show them like Italian version of Milan. So yes. what are some like traditional places or things or where would you go? What would you do? Well, just to contrast these, you know, these okay. new neighborhoods, yeah. Uh, what I would like to show, let's say, to a relative that's com that comes for the first time in Milan, I would s maybe stay away a little bit from the most typical Duomo and Castello area. I would, I would show them Navilli, I think. I, I find it a very interesting area with a very specific vibe and very fresh and different and people don't expect to see this in Milan, I believe. People who don't know it very well, of course. It has very nice places, the area is always very alive and I, I like it. I would show them some vintage shops there, I find them very, uh, for vintage clothing and items and accessories, I find them very amusing. Every time I go I have a lot of fun. 
And also there are nice restaurants there to try some traditional food because food is a huge part of Italy in, on any level of Italian culture. So yeah, this is an area that I would, I would bring people who have never been here. And vintage here, that's a, that's a very specific topic for me because I think of vintage maybe, you know, like in Berlin you can go to like a vintage shop and everything is extremely cheap and used and you can find like, it's almost like a Salvation Army kind of shop. Mm -hmm. But Milan is very specific with vintage that it's actually sometimes even more expensive than like new just because it has, you know, value because it's old and people appreciate it and I don't know, here it's uh, they treat it so much differently than any other places that I've ever lived in. Indeed, I've noticed it because recently I've been to some shops, of course there are also cheap ones, but nothing, in, in Paris you can find way cheaper vintage I think here vintage is almost exclusive. As you said, it's it's on another level. It's uh, I went to some vintage shops and I saw uh, unique pieces of Gianni Versace. I've seen uh, Armani coats from Valentino. I've never seen anything like that. So here vintage is indeed even more ex way more exclusive than new clothing. Uh, in Paris, you can find uh, also very uh, high high fashion brands, uh, but there is also the other thing that I really like, actually really enjoy in in Paris, which is called vide grenier or emptying of your wardrobe, and it's literally normal people like families who twice a year in um, the courtyard of a church, I think. It's uh, in a 16th neighborhood in Paris. They take away their their things uh, and you can bargain with them. They can, it's all kinds of items, vintage items from clothing to accessories, to shoes, to glasses, to lamps. You can find everything and there are some amazing things. You can bargain, speak to them. If they want to get rid of their things, they will give you on a very good price. Um, so it's a different, it's a different way to, to look at vintage. Here is very exclusive, I find. It's more like a, like a garage sale. Kind of Indeed, but it's really pleasant to go there because you see all those people and they say, yeah, this is my, this is my belt from Celine and I have it uh, from my trip to Mozambique or <laughs> I don't know. It's, so they tell you the stories of their items and you feel even more, um, special to buy it you know it's a piece that somebody have loved and wore and used or their glasses like yeah this is the gift for my wedding i never used them but you can buy them now <laughs> and i find it very i find it very a very nice thing i enjoy going there every time i can i i, I go to those places i find them very very nice yeah it's nice to know the story of, of something yeah because it just makes it feel a bit more alive, I guess. I do remember one time you went with me that I was uh, looking for film cameras. Indeed. And there was like this old man, right, that he's here in Milan and he runs this uh, toy shop, yes. I guess. He sells toys, but not like electronic toys, more like old school toys for kids. And, uh, and I guess kind of as a side <laughs> thing, he had like all these cameras he used to use because I guess he was a photographer at some point or something and just like hearing him talk about them and you know like 
hearing that he knows how they actually do work and what makes something special and why it has value to him and everything is just like a nice thing i guess also for for other things that you can buy that are pre-owned and uh, yeah i love those, those kind of garage sales because in the end it's true that i mean i know it's such a cliche phrase but uh, that some dude's trash is someone else's treasure and yeah that, that happens a lot i think it's a it's a nice thing that i wish i i could see more in in italy because it's not it's not common yeah me too actually i remember that this man was an encyclopedia and he had those old soviet cameras which had even like stickers from from olympic games and it was like you touch this item and you know how how amazing it is that this item has a history it's not just an anonymous item that uh, somebody wants to sell you for money it's it has a very different value for those people I, yeah i would also love to see that more because you kind of feel, feel more close to the object and you value it more i believe and there are a few places here that you can also experience this but um, there should be more, I believe. It's it gives you it gives a different value to the to the vintage item. Yeah, because it's nice when someone takes care of something for so long, to the point that when you get it, it's in a condition that it's you almost know, as new, yeah, well functioning. And I guess that does apply here for clothing. I I mean, in the end, Milan is a fashion city. And like you say, here you can find, you know, a, a Gucci bag from the 70s that, that is kept perfectly or... But then, yeah, the prices are sometimes, sometimes not <laughs> so in line with what I would consider like pre-owned. Mm. Um, exclusivity works out here for like a lot of things, not only these, but even just like restaurants and you know place to go out to it's all about kind of like a lifestyle that that people try to get into maybe. yes yes i believe that um i don't know i think that m more and more people for example me growing up because i am from bulgaria side note uh, for me, for example, before and for my family, how I'm taught uh, to buy something secondhand or pre-owned, it's almost like uh, I cannot afford anything else, that's why I'm buying this. It's literally um, a charity. Somebody gives it to you for charity. So I, I never had anything secondhand when I was growing up. Of course, I had things passed down by cousins and other relatives um, but and I was oh I would always value a new item but now in the state of mind that I am I, I find way more valuable to have something with a good quality because now what we see with fast fashion quality is a disgrace uh, with a good quality with made with amazing materials uh, a long time ago pre-owned with history i find it way more valuable so i would i even think that if i can afford pay a little bit more for those items that i would actually it's a uh, it's a complete change of how I my my attitude towards uh, secondhand items, 
it, it has com completely changed for me because I've noticed that now we should maybe make the best of all the items that we have because it's, it's a really bad thing for things to go to waste and with new clothes I've had some pretty bad experience and clothes getting destroyed relatively fast so I, I don't think it's a bad thing to yeah, of course if people can afford that I, I don't think it's a bad thing to to invest a little bit more in, in a quality piece yeah but also even I would argue that the opposite, uh, for example, one thing I always tell to people is buy used books. Indeed, you know? that's because for sure. They're already out there, someone already bought it, read it, liked it, or didn't like it. <laughs> but it's all this paper that we have, you know, and I always, if I can, try to, try to find a book that I want to read. I, I like getting them used because I just feel that I'm maybe not contributing to all this paper that... <laughs> That is out there that you know we just throw away uh an okay paper might be way different than plastic but i think is uh in this era especially when people don't read as much, much as they used to but we're still printing out you know so many things and yeah used books is like for me kind of like if i if i can it's a must yeah course yeah me too or take it blended from a library it's probably one of the best things that you can do or if you want to own the book of course look for it or manuals or other things like that of course it's a it's a way of thinking first thing before buying something is um, can I buy it used can I lend it and because also I've had I would have bought a lot of books for example but I also don't have a stable house. I mean, I move a lot. I have a temporary house here, a temporary house there. I don't own, I don't live anywhere fixed. And I don't feel like covering myself with a lot of luggage to to move with for, for now. Maybe this thing will change. But yeah, of course, um, used is always, is always the choice, I believe. I mean, I do agree with people who buy like a kindle mm. you know and then you can have like million Unlimited. books and it was the same idea as the ipod no you, you you take your thousand songs in your pocket and that's fine with me but i'm also from the other side a bit i do like you know vinyl records and paper in my hand i have like a book smells when you take it out of the library <laughs> and uh you know film cameras and fountain pens and typewriters and all these manual mechanical things i do think have their appeal but at the same time again like typewriters and film cameras of course i buy them used no one's making those things anymore yes. so at least i feel that i'm giving something maybe a new life yes but I wouldn't disagree with technology being very helpful nowadays uh, with with other things like a Kindle. I think it's it's great for traveling. Indeed, um, of course, everybody. We should make use of the of the technological advancements of the era with the Kindle. And, but yeah, there is a certain there is a certain appeal to to a paper book. Of course, I always. If I, because if I use something academically, I, I lend it from the library. Um, but if I read, I tend to get it from a friend and read it and then get, get it back. But I also prefer a paper, a paper book. 
Um, there's always ways, I believe, not to, to waste things, not to <laughs> buy new. Mm. But yeah, technology, it's, it's a personal choice, I believe. And one thing balances the other, giving a new life to an item or... If you prefer having a paper, paper book, there's always a way to make it in a more sustainable way, of course. And giving them away as well. Indeed, you know? yeah. I like giving books away to people that I know or think that they might enjoy it after mm -hmm. I read them. And yeah, it's, it's a balancing act, I guess, that everybody should try to do with their lives to understand this fine line between how much technology we consume and how much media we consume to, through this technology and how much we can bring back to life from these old things and just, you know, I don't think they are ideas that contradict or fight against each other, but I just believe that the balance is different for each one of us. Yeah, indeed. If I think that uh, personal preferences and I don't believe in the, the... I don't believe to people who say, no, I cannot get used to, I cannot get used to a Kindle, I cannot... Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm a little bit strict with that. I think that everybody can get used to anything uh, because we're very adaptive creatures. We have adapted through a, a lot of things throughout history. Uh, but yeah, we each and every one of us have to think and see how they can be a responsible human being and not to waste things and to enjoy to enjoy if they enjoy a book yeah buy the book it's okay then you can lend it to 15 friends and they can enjoy it without buying it it, it it's a balance this is how this is how things work it's okay <laughs> and uh okay now that we get to this point and i finished my coffee already and everything the question that i always ask everybody is uh, how do you drink your coffee i drink my coffee black and I prefer all the Italian methods of preparing it. In the last year, I was a person in my life introduced me to, to different brewing technologies of uh, Chemex and drips and cold brews. And but I am a little bit of snob in that. I like all kinds of coffee because I love coffee. But I am a fan of the Italian preparation. The mocha, the espresso, for me, is, uh, is the best tasting coffee and I, I tend to, to consume it in that way. <laughs> and what do you think about the idea of uh, cappuccino is only for breakfast? Uh, <laughs> it's another thing that I think Italian culture is a little bit picky. I think that people can enjoy it whenever they want. I mean, we all have our different schedules, if we want it in the afternoon, if, if you want to get warm in a rainy afternoon like this one, just have a cappuccino, it's okay. I, I'm not very strict about that. <laughs> and the Italian breakfast is also Sweet. something, yeah, a lot of people don't get so adapted right away when they visit or when they get here. Uh, you know, okay, in a hotel, if you visit Italy, of course, you will find your continental breakfast and yes. have your your eggs and sausages and bacon and everything you want. But in reality, finding a breakfast like that out, I mean, unless you do it at home, it's not so easy. Yes, it's not. There are countries like 
Italy and France that they have the sweet breakfast, the pastry breakfast with a coffee, with a cappuccino, with a pressed juice of orange or whatever. Uh, in my country, we're used to also a salty breakfast, but it's still fresh, fresh vegetables like tomatoes and cucumbers and feta cheese and yogurt. Uh, one thing that I couldn't get used to, I would get used to, it's okay for me to have a sweet breakfast or salty breakfast, one thing that I couldn't get used to, for example, is the Mexican breakfast, because I cannot get used to cooked breakfast, it's really strange for me, it's just another, I cannot wake up and have a cooked meat with salsa, with spicy salsa on it, or chilaquiles, which is also cooked it's good, but if somebody invites me to have chilaquiles or a Mexican breakfast, I have cereal before that. <laughs> I always tend to have my little tasteless breakfast to, be, to, to start the day with a piece of bread and butter or uh, just, just cereal. And then I would have the Mexican breakfast as a brunch. <laughs> That's yeah. another thing that changes, I guess, uh, mm. back there. In, in in Latin America, people have breakfast very early in the morning, yes. and then they have lunch around I don't know anywhere between three to five, six p.m., and then yes. they have dinner very late. And in Italy, for someone out there that doesn't know, lunch is usually around noon. Yes. And then they have dinner around six. Yes. So I guess going from a cappuccino and a brioche you know, for like three, four hours and then having lunch is okay, but back in Latin America, going with a brioche and a, and a coffee from 7 a.m. until, you know, 3, 4 p.m. might be a bit hard. So the lifestyle does change uh, the circumstances of like understanding maybe why these customs are different from country to country, of course. And uh, it also dictates a lot of things here that might be hard for people to get used to, which is restaurant hours, for example, here. Oh, yes. You can go to a restaurant at 3 p.m., starving, and they will not serve you serve you food. <laughs> yes, it's, it was a very hard lesson that I've learned. Either this or when I first moved in here, there was no, no open supermarkets on Sunday, which for me was mind-blowing. Uh, again, it's a cultural thing. I, I don't come from a very far country to Italy, but our it, we, our restaurants are open the whole day. Uh, and yes, you if you had a late breakfast and you want to have your lunch at four, they will serve it for you or whatever kind of your daily schedule meal you want to have it for, you can have it. It was a hard lesson. Here, rules of food are very, very strict and you have to adapt to them. Uh, but yeah, those working hours and schedules of people vary a lot between Italy and, and Latin America, Mexico, where I, because I don't know all the countries in Latin America, but Mexico. Uh, yeah, I am more prone to follow the European, the Italian way of uh, eating. Uh, so for me, it is okay, of course. Sometimes I, I struggle for because of the fact that everything is closed at 2, at 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. Sometimes I want to eat at this time outside and I can't. Um, but yeah, those are cultural things and here if the system works like that, then <laughs> it's okay. 
Some things have changed though. Luckily, yeah. supermarkets are open now on, on Sundays. Sunday. <laughs> because I also remember how they did it little by little. Uh, first, it was one big chain of supermarkets here. That was mm -hmm. Selunga that started opening on Sundays. Until from one. 10 to or 9 until noon or something yes. like that for like 3-4 hours. And then others started to follow suit. Yeah. And then Esolunga was like, okay, well, now I will be open all Sunday. <laughs> and then, I don't know, people adapted, like you said. And yeah, it, all these changes might not be noticeable right away, but they do happen. And I think that's the thing, like, Italy is a country where you live slowly. Yes. And things do change, but they do change also slowly. And that might sound weird, but I think it's like a good thing as well. Uh, I don't know, in, in, in America, uh, people live too fast sometimes and people are always in a rush. And Milan might seem like that to a lot of people, but in reality, to me, it's quite Calm. a chill place. Yes. People take their time. You can go out for a walk. Mm. There is like a lot of things to do, but there's also a lot of places where you can just go and, and relax. Indeed. I find that um, the fact why uh, supermarkets were not open here on Sundays, I believe because people here are used to spend Sundays with their families and do their groceries the days before. And Sunday is to, to relax, to stay at home, to have a good family lunch with your family, go to your grandma's house and have the most amazing dishes ever. Uh, it's a cultural thing, so people didn't need to have actually the supermarket open on a Sunday. Uh, those things started to change and I think in Milan they changed faster than in uh, Probably there are other places in Italy where supermarkets are not open on Sunday still. Uh, but here just because there's so many expats, there's so many young people living and we young people are not used to not have a supermarket on a Sunday. I believe it is because the target group has changed and people have adapted because having your supermarket open on Sunday it's a commodity in any way. Maybe you were busy the whole week, you needed it. So I think people are adapting, yeah, slowly to this new opening hours. <laughs> I guess comparing it to other cities that people might visit here, like Florence or Rome, in the end, Milan is quite a younger city. Yes. There's a lot of young people, there's a lot of things that might not be as traditional. Not saying that you cannot find, you know, interesting things in Rome or something, yes. but Rome is a museum. And, and you told me before, and that for you, Milan is more of like this, you know, pot of mixing cultures and experimentation and, you know, kind of like the testing grounds of evolution for, for what Italian culture is. Yes, I believe that in other cities you may not have the freedom to experiment this much with mixing styles, mixing cultures. In Rome, there are many things that you cannot allow to, to do or to start just because um, it's a more conservative place in a way that there are those monuments everywhere you may not have the, the, the freedom to, to start new maybe to start all kinds of businesses there or to it's a museum indeed you you are limited well here we have our monuments we have our historical buildings but at the same time we have 
a lot of a lot of ground to to experiment and to to try new investments new things to make it a more cosmopolitan and i find that this is what makes milan unique this is how this is why people see say that milan is the the foreign country of it uh, the, the foreign city of of italy it's uh, very international um because people have freedom to experiment here that's why i call milan the experimental city of italy i believe it's because other cities are way more conservative about that and here people are allowed to to try things and if they work they work and this is how the face of the city changes this is why milan is like it is right now and it has changed a lot for the years that i've lived here uh, milan has, gives you the ground to experiment and to to find uh, new faces of, of of this city i think it has it has grown a lot it has changed positively a lot and hopefully it will continue changing in a positive direction. And um, just to finish this up nicely, I was gonna ask you about like a recommendation for people that might visit here, but you already told me about Nabili, Nabili yes. of course. <laughs> so uh, something else, you know, cultural book, uh, movie, whatever that you would, you know, try to encourage people to check out. Yes, um, if people visit Milan, I would encourage them to visit. Uh, there are many new, like there's Fondazione Prada, of course, there's uh, the Mudek Museum. I find it architecturally and the expositions that they have very different from what we have seen before their existence here in Milan. Uh, for Italian recommendations, apart from visiting, touristing, um, I would like to recommend for people to watch Eight and a Half by Federico Fellini and try a not so popular Italian dish, which is my favorite Italian dish. It's called Pizzoccheria alla Valtellina. Uh, just so people who are not so familiar with, with Italian cuisine would know that Italian cuisine doesn't only mean tomato sauce with basil. It's a, a northern recipe, which I find amazing and I think people should try it. Yeah, we said that, uh, especially for foreigners, a lot of the times they think of Italian food of the south mostly because yes. it's the one that got exported and the one that everybody kind of recognizes yes. and has been adapted everywhere else. But this is more of a even from the mountains let's say like near the alps kind of dish so it's not what people might think of traditional italian even though it is it is it is uh the thing is italy the what is special about italy is that it's so diverse from north to south they're completely different worlds and every region every town has their regional dishes and i believe that if people like italian food they should try and maybe they will find out a dish that they didn't know but it's amazing especially cuisine from the north is not as famous as absolutely as the south yes. or, or even around you know toscany and all these more let's say popular destinations yes yeah so check that out and uh, well thanks a lot for for coming and uh, doing the podcast and it was very fun and for everybody else listening i will put 
her Instagram. Yes. <laughs> so you can go check her out and uh, say hi and uh, thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And ciao. Ciao.